Thank you for leading us in worship this morning, Julie, and music team. Let's pray together as this new year begins. And Lord God, we give you praise for your faithfulness all throughout 2022 in our lives and meeting our needs and being there for us and causing us to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray for this upcoming year. We look forward to similar things, and we desire to continually grow so that we can live in a state of great, deep spiritual satisfaction in you, peace in our lives, fulfillment in serving you, joy in our life, restfulness, so many things. And we know that in order to achieve this, we need to stop relying on our own efforts to live our lives and to do ministry that might only just mimic a contentment in you, Lord Jesus, and uh, can often result in outcomes in our own lives and impacts on others that are not what we really, really, truly deep down desire. Instead, we have to rely on the, on the gospel, and we pray that you would give us the faith and the eyes to see this, the ability to rely on the gospel for all good things, to trust in the true power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and to appreciate you, Lord Jesus, for all that you are as our Savior, and what you accomplished, the benefits that you've purchased for us that are ours eternally. And we know that if we find all of our contentment in you, the fruits of the Spirit will just come out of our lives and bless us and bless everyone around us. It's you, Lord Jesus, who said, come to me, all who, are lab- all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. May we strive to enter that rest, as the book of Hebrews tells us, the fulfillment that is all there for us. And we pray this morning as we look into uh, the Word of God that uh, you would teach us and give us an even deeper trust in the gospel. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, beginning on the new year, so I always like to promote Bible reading. So I don't know how many of you read through the Bible in a year. Uh, Maybe some of you read through it twice in a year. Um, But I really encourage you to pick up one of those programs. They're all online now, so you can pick any type you like. I know over the years I've picked different ones. There's always just reading straight through the Bible. Um, That's one way to do it. There's also... um, programs out there that will take you through the Bible chronologically, sort of in the storyline of the Bible. And that's always encouraging, too, because then you get to see things from a little bit different perspective. And then, of course, there are a number of Bible reading programs that are thematic and sort of pair up scriptures from the Old Testament and the New Testament, help you to see things in a, in a new light as well. It keeps your faith fresh, and it keeps your mind set on God's work in the world. So I really encourage you to do that this year if you haven't done that. Something you can do this afternoon is look that up. Also, we're returning now. We finished Advent season. We're returning to our study in the Gospel of Luke, and we're just going to pick up where we left off in Luke chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 1, so you can follow along in your Bibles or in the text that I printed for you in your worship folders. But the title this morning is uh, Four Attitudes Expected of a Discipleship Community. Now, you may wonder, well, what's a discipleship community and who, who puts these expectations upon them? Well, a discipleship community is just another way you can refer to a church. It's a group of disciples, it's a community of disciples that want to follow Jesus, and uh, it's the Lord Jesus that puts the expectations on his people and what it means to follow him. And we're going to be looking at four expectations from our Lord Jesus this morning, and as you'll find out in God's providence, it often works this way, that this is just a great way to begin the new year with these four um, attitudes, behaviors, dispositions that we should have in our lives as his disciples. So... Luke 17, 1 to 10. We're going to read each section as we go because they're so uh, distinct. But it's really important to, to realize that 
You know, it's not just that we agree in principle with what is in the Scriptures, but we have to really put that into practice if we want to become a part of our personhood. And, uh, and then we have to not just practice it a few times, we have to continually practice the things that are put before us so that we grow into full maturity in our lives. In other words, Jesus isn't just interested in the fact that his uh, disciples agree with what he says, but he's interested in the fact that his disciples obey it and grow in their love for him. So this morning we're going to learn to develop these attitudes that are expected of us, these four, uh, by practicing them. And the four are as follows. The first one is to beware of all kinds of temptations and those who carry them. The second uh, is to rebuke and forgive one another toward maturity. The third is to use the faith that you have to do amazing things. And the fourth is to serve Christ dutifully and with great delight at the same time. So this section of Luke is almost like the book of Proverbs in a way where you've got these just short little statements and they don't seem like they're really connected to each other, but I think you'll see that by the time we get to the end, at the verses 7 to 10, the most lengthy section, ties all of this together for us. So let's take a look at the first instruction. Really, we could just say it's our first instruction for Calvary Church for the new year. And that is to beware of all kinds of temptations and their carriers. So verses 1 through 3a, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the heart of the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. And so another way to look at each of these four sections we're looking at is that there's, there's a topic with an implied question and answer. And here the topic is temptation. So the implied question is, well, what should our attitude be toward temptations? And the answer is, be on your guard. Watch out for yourselves. That's, that's the answer in verse 3 at the end. So Jesus speaks to his disciples about these inevitable stumbling blocks that are going to come, and he's talking about temptations to sin. He's probably in this context emphasizing more false teaching um, than anything that would lead to apostasy, that is, falling away from the faith, denying Jesus Christ himself. And he tells his disciples to be prepared because there are people that just like to set traps for Christians out there. Uh, his, current, his concern is especially for new believers and for the most vulnerable of believers. You see, Satan and the sinfulness of humanity are determined to cause disciples to go astray, to go the wrong way. And, uh, and the people that often get used to draw people away from the true faith are people like Judas's, people like the Pharisees, characters that we've, some have been introduced to, especially the Pharisees so far, and so modern-day equivalent. There are plenty of people that look like Christians that aren't real Christians. And so you have to beware because they will be ones who can draw you away. Now notice how angry God is in this passage. Fascinating. His fury of judgment looms over those who are responsible for causing believers to stray. God's not going to lose anyone who are truly his ultimately, but the message is, woe to the one through whom these temptations come and those people who mess with his own people. And there's this image given of an, of an upper millstone that's pulled by a donkey, so it's very heavy, to grind grain. And we're to imagine this tied around someone's neck, and then they're thrown into the sea, guaranteed to drown. It was not an uncommon uh, Greek and Roman penalty uh, that was inflicted on people. But it's a very drastic picture of how much God hates these people and how much he loves his own. 
The reason he states that it would be better is that if, if they had not been born, is that nothing is going to be compared to anything like this than hell itself. As Jesus would later talk about Judas, he said, the Son of Man is going to go, but just as it's written of him, woe by that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better or good for that man if he had not been born. And the little ones that he's talking about in this passage are not children. It's referring to disciples. That's another way of referring to his dearly beloved followers. Us, we're little children. Disciples who need care and protection. And many would suggest that in this particular context, he's really talking about brand new believers or very poor believers or simple believers. But regardless, their believers are vulnerable. And we know that God is humble people are very precious to him. His disciples are very precious to him. And even you are, even we are. You see, we're not the great ones. We're the little ones. That's who we are. And that's what we learn. And that's why we have to be on guard because the warning is very simple and straightforward and not to be ignored because sometimes we can think things like, well, yeah, we read about that in the Bible, but you know, I've never really seen it. And that could never happen here. Could never happen to me. Not now, anyway. Not to my friends. But the text tells us to be very alert about this. We're to be on our guard for ourselves and not be deceived, not let into sin. And it goes for those of us who are mature in the faith who even think that whatever could never happen to us. Well, we've heard many stories. We've probably had some friends that the whatever has happened to. And we wonder why and how it ever could be. And think that maybe sometimes it could never happen to us. But it could, especially if we're not vigilant. And so we're supposed to be on guard that we also not become a stumbling block to other people, too, by getting involved in dubious teachings. Make sure you know what you're studying and understanding. Or to be on guard for other believers, too, that they're not deceived, to protect other, one another as a community and be responsible for one another. You know, there are many people throughout the history of the church that have sought to corrupt the church, and there are three main ways to do it. Uh, one is by false teaching, the second is by introducing sin, and the third is worldliness. And so we read from the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, this, these words, but false prophets also arose among the people, speaking of the past, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with their false words, their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So the first thing that we're taught in, in, in chapter 17 is beware of all kinds of temptations and the people who bring them into our lives and into the church. You see, they're inevitable. That's what Jesus teaches us. They're all around us, and they're never going to go away, ever. The church is always going to be harassed by these types of people. So we can't get rid of it, so we need to follow Jesus' advice to learn how to deal with this so that we don't stumble, others don't stumble, that we can be a faithful disciple. In fact, we could probably even enjoy the spiritual battle a little bit and, uh, and, and go after those who would destroy God's church. We need to develop the attitude that's expected of us here 
of a community of disciples and beware and be vigilant of temptation. It's a lesson for all of us, even with the new year upon us, to beware of those things. A second instruction is to rebuke and forgive one another toward maturity. That's the purpose of it, is to bring us into maturity. So the topic here is really forgiveness in verses 3 and 4. And the, the uh, implied question is, well, what about forgiveness? What should be our attitude regarding this topic? And the answer is that we are to be accountable to each other and for growth, uh, for growth and holiness. And so we read, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So Jesus teaches us, very simply here is that, um, you know, if your brother sins. Well, a better translation from the original language is when your brother sins, because it's really not a question of if anyway uh, in our English. It's a question of when. So, and we all know that about ourselves. So, when we sin, we should rebuke one another. And then assuming repentance, which is the normal Christian behavior, we should forgive one another. It's very simple. It's very beautiful. It's very functional. Um, So, don't make it complicated. So many Christians make this such a complicated process. The extent of the rebuking, the repenting, the forgiving forgiving could be quite extensive. And so Jesus gives this almost humorous example. Uh, People might actually have a really bad day, and so they have to go through this process seven times in one day. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, who's that sinful? Well, we should think, well, maybe me sometimes, you know. That's what we should all think. And of course, the limit is not seven. Seven is picked as the symbolizing completeness. In other words, there's no limit, really, to this whole thing. But even with such a bad day, it doesn't forego the process of genuine repentance. You know, we don't just say the words. You actually have to mean them. And there are some important assumptions that Jesus is making here regarding his, in his disciples in this process, and that is that we should assume about one another is that we all want to grow as Christians. We want to grow in personal righteousness. And secondly, that we really do have each other's best interests at heart. And that's very helpful to remember about one another in this whole process, is to assume those things up front, is that, well, people really do want to grow. They want to become more righteous. They, they, they really are interested in these things. And you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see what love looks like. But one of the descriptions of it is love believes all things, believes the best. And so if we have that up front in our minds, it's a lot easier. And uh, serious problems arise really fast when we, when we start missing these assumptions, but that's a different sermon. So Jesus is teaching that um, we should be eager to help one another grow and grow in grace. And you see that in the passage, right? That's, that's the goal, is that things get dealt with. People continue to, to process and grow themselves. We don't want to be uh, some kind of a legalistic community with, where a bunch of people are watchdogs of human righteousness. You ever been in one of those kind of churches? Man, they're nasty places to be. You want to get out as fast as you can. So we don't want to be that. We want to be a church that is filled with graciousness and grace and helping one another grow. And we should be eager to repent, of course, when we're wrong. And we should be generous in forgiveness, not stingy with forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So then we continue. The Apostle Paul encourages us, for example, you know this passage, I'm sure, very well. Galatians 6.1, brothers, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual 
should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, problems arise in churches when people don't confront one another. And there's always an excuse why we shouldn't and avoid it, or sometimes we go after people in some kind of a self-glorifying way. And problems also arise when we don't recognize our own needs to repent over things, or, and we can always come up with excuses and ways to deny all that, or we can just give a half-hearted repentance. And problems also arise when we just don't forgive one another and we don't extend that to each other. And uh, we, can be, we can be begrudging people uh, as people at times, and sometimes we can actually be too lenient with the repentance process uh, itself. Um, and so here's just sort of a, a tip for you, is that if you're still bothered about some relationship that you're in, you probably haven't really forgiven, and there's probably more work to do, and you need to spend some time praying about that, and, uh, and maybe it's just time for you to move on from it, but you're going to need to do some work. But the simple item before us is, is a challenge, because this whole thing, um, rebuking and forgiving one another toward maturity, is just part of the normal life of a discipleship community. As Christians, we're all struggling to mortify our sin, and we're all eager to serve the Lord. Even the Apostle Paul would make a request uh, for people in a church to just get along. Just get along. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So he knows, Paul knows, the apostle knows, that that church, Philippi, has all the resources that they need and all the skills that they need to be able to just do that. And so he's very hopeful that this harmony will return. So let me encourage you. If you, if you, uh, if you have a problem getting along with people, um, there's likely that you're not obeying Jesus in here somewhere. Uh, so spend some time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to move your head and your heart to figure it out and move you to obedience afterward. So, rebuke and, and forgiving one another toward maturity is the second instruction. And all of this might sound sometimes like, oh, it's not worth it. Why would I want to bother being in a group of people that's going to require all this work? And in fact, you know, a lot of people come to that sad conclusion. You might know some of those people just like, ah, oh, forget the church. I mean, that's just so much work. And this is one of the things they don't like about it. And for a variety of reasons, maybe they don't like being confronted on things, or maybe they don't want to have to be responsible for other people. Well, the obvious implication here is, is that you can't actually mature in your faith if you're not a part of a discipleship community, because we need each other. That's the only way we're going to grow. If you're just isolated, you're just going to become weird, okay? You have to be in a body of people where we can work on each other and with each other toward maturity and develop what is necessary for our lives. So that's the second instruction. The third one for the new year is to use your faith for doing amazing things in verses 5 through 6. And uh, so the topic is faith in this little paragraph. And uh, what should our attitude be toward faith is that we can do truly amazing things to further God's kingdom. And so we read, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So our apostle, or the apostles here begin in our story with a very good request, right? It seems like the best thing you could ask Jesus. Can you give us more faith, Jesus? Um, 
realizing that he's the one who grants it. Yeah, well, spot on with all that. But then Jesus answers in not what they would expect the answer to be. Well, that's not a first for Jesus, right? He always answers that way, it seems like. Never gives a straight answer to people, uh, but always makes us think. And so basically, Jesus tells them, his apostles here, that it's the presence of true faith that's more important than its quantity. And that such faith can actually accomplish amazing things for the kingdom. So his answer is to them, basically, well, go use your faith and go do something extraordinary for the kingdom. For example, he gives them an example, the mulberry tree idea. You know, black mulberry trees uh, grow to 35 feet tall, can live up to 600 years, and develop very deep root systems. And so if you were going to uproot a mulberry tree, that would be quite a feat. And then the other image that he gives in the story is the size of a mustard seed, which is really small. And that's about your faith. So even if your faith is that small, it's a proverbial way of referring to something, of course, very small. So you see the contrast, right? You've got this really tough tree, and you've got a really tiny amount of faith. And Jesus makes it sound like, you know, trees are just sitting around waiting for someone to throw them in a seat. And then that's what they should be doing. But of course, why would you want to do that with your faith? I mean, what a waste. So that's not the point. The point is this is an illustration. It's an illustration that we can do something startling with our faith, exceeding ordinary expectations of the world and ordinary expectations of the church, ordinary expectations that might even be in our own minds. What do you think? What are you thinking of for 2023? And how you might use the faith that God has given you to do something that you haven't done before. We can truly do amazing things with our faith. You've experienced it sometime in your life when you've stepped out in faith to attempt something great. Maybe it was sort of along the lines of what we've been studying. Maybe it was those first two things. Maybe it was a big step of faith to confront someone about sin or a big step of faith to forgive someone. For many of us, it might have been something where we've been on a short-term mission trip recently or maybe in the past or something we've done at home to do outreach and evangelism that is something that was very scary. You can use your own life examples, and those life examples that you have can be a great motivation just for you. And, uh, and you can be encouraged, what do you want to do this year that's even bigger and different? I mean, the application is glaringly obvious from Jesus' illustration that he's giving here, is that we're to do amazing things with faith, not normal things. Not normal things. Not things that people could just explain like, oh yeah, you know, that's explainable by normal processes of humanity, but we have this faith that we've been given to do supernatural things. He doesn't give us faith just so we can live a happy, comfortable, you know, glorious, normal life. It's so that we can do something for the kingdom. So think about a few things. Maybe think about how we pray for the many ministries at Calvary and for one another personally. What are we asking for? Are we asking for just normal things or are we asking for amazing things? Or how do we pray for the ministries of our missionaries? You know, we have so many of them. And uh, what are we asking for for them? I mean, they, they give wonderful lists of things to pray for, and almost all of them don't put normal things on there. They put amazing things on their lists. So we can be praying amazing things for our missionaries. How do we even pray for our own relationships with the people that we know in our communities? What are we asking for? Just normal relationships with people or truly amazing relationships? So... Ask for the glory of God to be displayed in new ways in your life in 2023 
and then act accordingly in the same faith that you've been praying. Put that into action and give God the glory. So we're supposed to pray for things and then do what we pray in faith. They go together. So use your faith for doing amazing things. A little faith can be highly potent, and it gets developed in our lives by using it a lot. Not just sitting, letting it sit there, if you will. But using your faith to pray, using your faith to go act on things, and it will grow. And if you want more faith, like the apostles did here in our passage, well, then you've got to exercise the faith that you already have. Then you'll get more faith from Jesus. So we develop the faith expected of us as a community of Christian disciples by actually using the faith that we already have. That's how we get more. So that's also an instruction for this new year in 2023. Finally, the fourth instruction is to serve Christ dutifully and with great delight. Very interesting parable of unworthy, the unworthy servant at the end here. And so we're talking about duty. That's the topic, that we have a duty. But what we find that the uh, implied answer is that we can fulfill this duty is with both obligation and with privilege in our minds. And so we read, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? I'll stop there for the moment. So in the parable of the unworthy servant, it's quite clear teaching us that we're to perform our discipleship duties as true servants of Jesus Christ. In fact, you could just say those three things we just talked about before. Perform all those duties faithfully. So we're not supposed to give a tremendous amount of thought to reward, as in this parable, in the manner of the Pharisees, whom, you know, they've been looming large in the Gospel of Luke so far. Um, and, and they are the implied you know, foil for us. So we don't obligate God um, by our service, like the Pharisees thought like we've been seeing in the Gospel of Luke. We can't say, God, I did this and this for you, so now you should do this and this for me. We can't say, God, I will do this in the future if you will do this for me. We simply serve the Lord and leave the reward, which we're going to get, because chapter 12 talked about the rewards. We've already read about them. We're going to leave all of that to God and his wisdom and how Jesus Christ, our master, is going to determine those things. So, but the storyline in the parable is very simple. It's very easy to follow. There's one farmer, and he can only afford one servant. And so the servant gets to do double duty. So he has to work out in the fields, first of all, or amongst the flock, and then he has to come inside and do other work in the house as well. And then when he's, so when he's done outside, he comes in and he has to do all these inside duties, and only after completing all those can he sit down and eat a simple meal. So it's an example that would have been easily understood in the culture of Jesus' day, and it's very simple even for us today to understand. Um, it would be absurd for this farmer to invite the servant and sit down and eat with him before he had changed his clothes and made preparations, of course. And only after finishing his service to his master would he even eat his own meal. And even then, the master doesn't thank his servant for doing what he's already been paid to do. So, of course, we shouldn't over-apply a lot of these kinds of parables. Jesus is simply trying to teach one main point, and that is what's at the heart of true servanthood. That's what we see illustrated in the story. Because we know how working for Jesus really works with all the blessings and the fellowship that come along from his other teachings. Oh yeah, he's the best master of all to serve. 
And it's not as mundane as this particular story would suggest. It includes a sense of honor and privilege, of joy and great delight. And we serve with this profound sense of obligation and privilege at the same time. And the parable ends, so you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty. So this idea of being unworthy or other translations might have useless uh, or unprofitable is very uncomfortable uh, to, to consider that, uh, even unsettling. It doesn't, it doesn't refer to the inherent worth of the person. It's talking about functionality, functional worth, or the role. And yet at the same time, when we think about that, and who is the real master in the story that we're talking about anyway, is Jesus, and we think about comparing ourselves to him, well, he does deserve all of the praise, not us. But just as we shouldn't uh, over-apply it, we have to guard against under-applying it as well, and it's meant to be unsettling. Uh, in fact, many parables are. Um, they're not written so that you can read them and be done with them. They're written so that you can continually think about them. And they're often written in such a way that you can't figure it all out right away, or that it makes you upset about something, or it makes you ask questions that you hadn't asked before. That's the purpose of telling a parable. And so, but some of the lessons here could be these. If we're really Jesus' servant, then we can't reserve autonomy for ourselves, or control over our lives, or options, or rights. We belong to God. We exist for His glory and His purposes, and we owe Him service. We give God and Christ what is due, and we never really, though, actually give them everything that's due. Or do we ever really do it good enough? And so that keeps us humble, and it keeps us with great respect for our master. Verse 10 is actually really our line in the story. It's something that we could practice saying over and over again. We are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. I mean, you could just take that home and practice saying that to the Lord in your prayers. We're only unworthy servants. We've done only what is our duty. That can really help with our mindsets about things. Way to apply the scriptures, way to meditate upon them, way to memorize them by repeating them. Now, in contrast, it's really interesting to observe how people so often, because we're people, um, say crazy things uh, sometimes in churches, and I've, I've heard probably almost all of them, but uh, in my course of ministry, Certainly none of this applies here, just so you know. Um, but here are a few things that I've heard. Um, I mean, people actually saying them, believe it or not. Somebody actually told me once, well, I do my part in serving the church. Like, your part? So my response is typically, well, maybe God wants to expand your ministry this year. Take a bigger part. Or people say things like, this is a common one in one particular church, <clears throat> Oh, I did my service so long ago, it's other people's turn now. And I'm like, well, you're not done yet, my friend, if you're still alive. You know, God has other things for you to do. I'm not sure I ever succeeded in convincing anyone. But another one that I've heard people actually say to me is that, well, I'm too busy. And I'm thinking, well, I think you might find greater freedom and joy if you re start rearranging your schedule so that you can serve Christ and others in new ways. 
And then uh, I've heard people say, well, you know, I do so much more than other people. You know, I'm one of those 20% that do 80% of the work. And uh, I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but it was. <clears throat> well, I tell people, well, Jesus doesn't want you to follow that rule. I mean, this isn't complicated, people. So, and then sometimes, you know, I've, I've heard this one. It's crazy to hear this one. I don't like the way things are done around here, so I'm going to withhold myself and my money and go pout in my room. Now, I made up the last part about partying. But, but that's what they do, pout. Right? But so some of these people I've told, well, you know, God's given the leaders that he has to run his church, and if you want to submit to God, then you should submit to the leaders he gave you. And maybe when you start learning some humility, he'll give you a role to play in bringing about solutions. So, and the list goes on. We know them from our own experience, maybe even our own silliness sometimes. But it's really a pity for so many people to get trapped sometimes in these statements and, and they become a part of the way they think and the way they interact in a church body and they miss out on so much. I mean, it's not just about sort of poking fun at people who say these things. It's, there's so much that people are missing out by not fulfilling the duty to serve Jesus and the delight that's there. I mean, Jesus makes our role very clear here. It's not time for us to sit down and eat yet. We have to keep on serving him. We're not done with our duties. There's more to do for God, for the kingdom, and for his church. And we develop this attitude toward duty that's expected of us as a community by actually doing it. And so let's keep on serving our master until he returns, especially in 2023. So, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ here places uh, many expectations upon his, his, his people, four of them in particular that we looked at, those who choose to follow him. And these uh, certain attitudes really do characterize true followers of Jesus that honor and please him in all things. And we've, we've hopefully learned that the way we're going to get these things deeper into our own character is by practicing them. So if you're looking for New Year's resolutions, you got four of them right here. So you, you, can, you don't even need to go home and think about it. So you can just take these four and just copy them over. Those are your resolutions. Great resolutions. In fact, I just thought of that. Maybe I'll do that. So, so we've got four resolutions right here. So first of all, we have to be aware of all kinds of temptations and their carriers. So are there ways that you can be more alert and serious about this? Maybe you need to do some more study in a particular area of theology. Or maybe you need to exercise more discernment because you sort of got tricked by a couple people last year. Second point of application resolution was, would be to, we must rebuke and forgive one another toward maturity. And so we might ask questions of ourselves like, are there any issues in relationships that you need to address? And hopefully, um, as a result of what we even looked at today, you're more ready to confront people who need some help and be confronted uh, when people think you need help and to forgive and to grow. Third, we must use the faith that we have for doing amazing things. So, have you been asking for more faith, but not really using the faith that you have? I mean, that's the obvious question, right, that we've studied this morning. So, have you been asking for more faith when you aren't really using the faith that you already have? So, go use it. Uh, where might the Spirit be pushing you to trust Christ and be more bold? Uh, I would encourage you to give it a try. See what happens. And finally, the fourth resolution would be we must serve Christ dutifully and with great delight. Is it possible? 
that you've been asking too much from God and giving Him too little in return? Could you turn your duty into delight if you thought more about His goals than your own? You know, Jesus intends in all of this teaching to encourage His disciples with the words here in Luke 17. That's Luke's purpose in writing it, is to encourage us. So I hope you've been encouraged. He really does want disciples to develop, to grow, to make progress, to not stay stagnant, that year after year we can see progress in our lives. He really does want us, Luke, and, and wants us to appreciate the church of God, the family, the church family that we're part of, and to mature together. And it's my prayer and hope that we'll be empowered by his grace to do even more than we can imagine um, this coming year. Well, let me pray for us briefly, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your teaching this morning, for hearing from you through Luke what it is you expect from us, and uh, we ask that you would develop these attitudes, these behaviors, these dispositions, this character really deeply uh, into us as your followers this coming year in 2023. And we pray these things so you'd be glorified in your church. Amen.